Welcome to Nourish, Flourish, and Grind. I'm your host, Jeff Winkers, professional personal trainer with a passion for nutrition, psychology and mindset, and fitness. Wow, obesity and diabetes rates have increased 10%. To solve this, we need to nourish our bodies, flourish our mindset, and grind through hard work. Are you ready to nourish, flourish, and grind to better health and happiness? All right, guys, welcome back. It is time for another episode of Nourish, Flourish, and Grind, and uh, I'm excited to be back. We had I just got back from our burn summit, our fourth annual burn summit, and we we learned a lot as trainers, a lot of different things, and what I love about it is we really got into women's health on two different subjects, uh, one being uh, post, or prenatal and uh, postpartum health. Um, especially when it relates to the core. And then also we got into uh, peri and postmenopause and all that. But today I want to really hit on a, a topic that's not talked about very often uh, that should be. And I know from my experience in, in my four-year degree, it was never touched on once in my, in my four years was, uh, you know, postpartum health and how much happens with with the female body in terms of their core and their pelvic floor and so i'm excited to bring on a guest this week uh some of you may know her some of you may have uh had uh consults with her you might have been treated by her uh, i have jill o'brien here from o'brien physical therapy who uh and she specializes in pelvic floor health and so uh welcome jill thank you for coming on thanks yeah, so uh, tell me, tell her, you know, everybody just a little bit about you, um, you know, how you got into this, why you did, and, and, and where sure. you, yeah, what's your story? Um, I am a physical therapist. I specialize in pelvic health. Um, I grew up in Iowa, and I went to Iowa State University uh, for my bachelor's degree in exercise science. And then I went on to get my master's in physical therapy from the University of Iowa and my doctorate in physical therapy uh, from Washington University in St. Louis. And I worked for a gentleman in Iowa. I was the only female uh, physical therapist in the clinic. And so when I was in PT school, I thought I was going to be a sports med PT, an orthopedic manual PT. Um, and when I started my job, I was again, the only female physical therapist in the clinic and there had already been an established, uh, pelvic health patient population. And so being the only female therapist, my boss said, guess what you're going to do? And so at first I was very hesitant, a little bit resistant, but I started doing some research and started treating patients and, it was absolutely life-changing. Um, the impact that you could have on women specifically, but also men and kiddos was just, um, it was so rewarding. It was very challenging, but it was also very rewarding. And the amount of change that you could see in such a short period of time was just really amazing. And the other thing that I think was the reason that I got hooked was just seeing the change in their um, their emotional state as well as their physical state. Uh, this is something that we don't talk about a lot. And I always joke when I give a lecture presentation, I'll put the picture of the human body up and I just put a black box over the pelvic area yeah. because as people start talking about this with their healthcare providers or with their significant others or with their friends, 
it's just a topic that hasn't really been um, elaborated on very much. People are kind of scared of that area. It's a little used to be taboo to talk about anything related yeah. to bowel or bladder dysfunction or anything related to pregnancy or postpartum in that area. And so being able to hold space for people to come in and feel completely comfortable talking about whatever their issues were, um, it was it was pretty unbelievable. Again, seeing both their emotional and their physical improvements. Yeah, and I I, I love how you kind of in your you put that black box mm -hmm. over because it's one of those things. I know when I first started as training mm -hmm. here, it was like uh, like big like smack in the face because <laughs> one client one member come up to me yeah. and said, "I have this. I have diastasis," and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> what is that you know um for one being a male and then the other side of it is not not taught right. in in a female dominant uh, mm -hmm. gym which i have it was like wow i'm way behind and i immediately wanted to do research on it mm -hmm. um it's one of those things i guess i've always been very open like it's the body mm -hmm. it's anatomy it's just the way it is like it's right. nothing weird about it but in the general public it is so mm -hmm. taboo it's like one of those things like that the female area there is just right. like a complete mystery. Right. Um, and we just don't, t but why we don't is it's very frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, I know from me and my perspective as a personal trainer, I wish I had known mm -hmm. these things because I feel like one, it, it kind of like demeaned all my, you know, all my reliability, my validity, validity as a trainer. Right. Um, but even though there was really nothing I could do about it at the time, cause it was mm -hmm. just not even something anybody brought up. Right. Um, and I guess I would love to hear your side of it because mm -hmm. I still question, I know it's like considered taboo, but why is it your opinion? Like, why do we not talk about it much? Why is it something that has been overlooked so mm -hmm. much in this that's industry? A, that's a really good question. I mean, bowel and bladder function, you know, everybody pees, everybody mm -hmm. poops. Um, most all of us have sex. Um, and so it's a, you know, it's a normal human activity. It's an activity, it's an activity of daily living that we're supposed to talk about. Um, so I think there's probably a number of reasons as to why, um, why it has seemed a little bit more taboo. Uh, it's not comfortable to talk about pee and poop with, you know, someone that you maybe don't know. Mm -hmm. A lot of people might not feel comfortable with their providers. And also, I mean... I think in the past it was cultural and maybe there was a little bit of, um, you know, religious bias mixed in that that's just a private part to us, which I really do feel that we still need to respect this area and we need to talk openly about this area, but also um, not in necessarily a shameful way. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a lot of things in our society that we need to be very careful of uh, in regards to um, in regards to the pelvic area and so we always want to be mindful of that and make sure that someone feels safe talking to you mm -hmm. make sure that someone um, is in a very safe place in a very comfortable place never to force them to talk about anything they're not comfortable with but again that kind of then gets into um, maybe some of the healthcare providers are fearful of talking about it in um, anticipation of maybe something bad happening, they yeah. get sued or something. But um, ultimately, I don't think it should be taboo. I think, again, it's an activity of daily living. We need to open it up. We need to talk about it. All of my friends and family and really anyone who knows me jokes that 
Um, I can pretty much turn any conversation into talking about something related to the pelvic floor. <laughs> yeah. um, and so uh, I really do appreciate, you know, people like you and trainers like you that are willing to have these conversations because in a female-dominated gym, these issues are happening whether people are talking about them or not. Mm -hmm. And so opening the conversation from your end and, you know, really making sure that they know that they feel safe in this space to talk openly about it and to have the resources available um, is just, it's super cool. I'm really yeah. glad that we have this in our area. Yeah, and I and that's why I'm glad that we have somebody like you in the area yeah. that, you know, I can tell people mm -hmm. about because, you know, it's not every physical therapist you can go to and talk about it because they just, right. it's not. And I think, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think a lot of this comes down to two, like one, building that trust mm -hmm. from your, you know, from the provider and, you know, whether it's me, whether it's you, um, building that trust so that way people know that it, it's going to stay in context of what's, mm -hmm. it's not going to go outside of that. Right. Like my view of it is specifically on how to keep you safe, um, right. how to be able to, so you can perform the things that you want to do outside of this. And, but I think that also goes into, we build trust and openness by being open about it and talking about it. Right. And I think that's like that that line that it's hard to figure out like you know do we build that trust first and then talk mm -hmm. about it or do we like just talk about it because right. it's and start getting rid of that stigma that goes along with right. it um in my i mean it's kind of you know it's kind of both i think i mean just the atmosphere of your gym every time i walk in i feel comfortable i feel safe um the fact that it is a female dominant gym um again i see males and kiddos as well mm -hmm. but primarily females and um, I think that even just mentioning if you are, um, you know, if this is something that has happened to you or if you are doing a burpee and you're experiencing, you know, A, B, or C, um, then maybe come talk to me and mm -hmm. opening the lines of communication yeah. that way. Um, but I, I agree with you. Building trust is very, very important. And even when it even when it's not related to the pelvic floor, if if someone's in a gym and they're always in pain or they're always getting injured, you're right, that trust just isn't going to be there. Right. And so having a safe space, you know, within, with all of that, I think is really important. And then yeah. just um, allowing those lines of communication to be open. So when I am evaluating a patient, they might not even know that they should offer me some of this information. Mm -hmm. And so a question that I always say is, you know, in the past, people who have described some of your symptoms have also said Very, blank. Yeah, yeah. And so then when the people are exercising here, uh, they'll be like, oh, yeah, that has happened to me before. Maybe I should go talk yeah. to Jeff after class. Yeah, and I think that's a good point that I – you know, I say that I'm a little upset that nobody talked to me about mm -hmm. it, but like the amount of our members who don't, that aren't aware, yeah. you know, when I mentioned diastasis recti, they're like, mm -hmm. what's that? Right. You know, the fact that they don't, you mm -hmm. know, this isn't, it's not even just a field thing. It is a general, yeah, like women absolutely. aren't even made aware of it. And pro like providers aren't even aware of it. Mm -hmm. So I had a patient come to me once and tell me that, you know, their OB told them that... Um, you know, their con their issues with constipation didn't have anything to do with some of their pelvic floor dysfunction. And it was an OB, you mm -hmm. know, and again, there was no male intent there whatsoever. Uh, but I think 
we have specialties for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not one type of provider that can know everything. Right. Um, I don't rehab ACLs anymore. Right. You know, yeah. I used to and I don't anymore because I haven't kept up on the current literature because my life took me in another direction. Yeah. And so um, I think it's really important that if you don't feel like you're getting the right information from mm-hmm. someone, whether that's a personal trainer or a PT or your primary care provider, that you just ask them for resources or seek out other yes. people on your own. Yeah, awareness on it, exactly. you know, is huge. And I guess, what is your, you know, why is it important that we do from a health perspective for, for women? And I know men can mm-hmm. experience this as well, but, um, you know, from that perspective, why is it important that we do start opening up this conversation and making this more, you know, of a common, like, mm-hmm. hey, guys, it, it happens, it's more common than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like we do with mental health now, it's like trying to break that barrier. Why, mm-hmm. why do we need totally. to do that? Um, that's a great question. And so when I first started, some of it was just the location that I was practicing in. I was practicing in a really small town in Iowa. But some of it was also the times. I would see more of the aging population that just had issues with incontinence um, or prolapse and you know i quickly realized that if we got to people sooner um some of this stuff could have been prevented a lot of it could have been prevented mm-hmm. and so i mean in europe now there is it's very just like they do a 6 week postpartum visit with their ob they do you know maybe an 8 week or 10 week postpartum visit with a pelvic health physical really? therapist That's it's a awesome. standard of care yeah. and so not everyone necessarily needs intense pelvic health PT after they've had a baby, but everyone deserves an assessment of their pelvic floor. You would never have surgery on your shoulder or on your knee or on another body part and just say, well, you know, in the past, things have usually healed okay. Right. I mean, right. it's just, it's pretty bizarre how, um, you know, that that area of the body literally has just kind of been left alone. Um you know, and it just, we're just expecting it to kind of heal on its own. Yeah. But I will say, you know, to put a positive spin on it, it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're trying to shout it from the rooftops that this needs to be a standard of care. But I would say to specifically answer your question, it's prevention. Um, it's preventing prolapse from getting worse. It's preventing the diastasis from getting worse, which then can lead to bowel and bladder dysfunction, which can lead to back pain five to 10 years down the road. Um, and so a lot of it is just improving, allowing the tissues to heal at the rate that they need to heal at. Um, and then encouraging the function to come back. Um, so that everything can work together. Yeah. Um, and obviously just preventing things from getting worse in the future. And I do feel like we have a much more active population, you know, maybe different than a hundred or 200 years ago. Um, we're active in a different sort of way and we can expect things just to kind of magically return after tearing, after surgery. Um, so, you know, a C-section, a C-section is a major abdominal surgery. Mm-hmm. They cut through layers and layers of skin and fat and fascia and muscle tissue. And, you know, they stitch you back up, but then they put you on a lifting restriction for six weeks and that's it. I mean, that's, those are the guidelines. Yeah. 
you know, and so then we expect um, these women to know what they're supposed to do for recovery. Right. Um, and so, again, whether it was a vaginal delivery or a C-section, um, I do feel like at some point pelvic health PT will hopefully be a standard of care. Yeah, that would be awesome. And, mm-hmm. and that's a perspective that, you know, even I didn't think of it, mm-hmm. you know. You know, after having my wife, you know, go through this and, and seeing where mm-hmm. she's been and, and, you know, I know how it affects her mental state yeah. and her and just physically. Yeah. Absolutely. But like looking at it from like, you know, childbirth is a major, it's not a major event. Yes. It's not a surgery per se, but yeah. it is a, it is no different than, yeah, yeah you know, ACL surgery, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and our bodies are amazing, but yeah. at that point it, you know, mm-hmm. it makes sense to treat it as mm-hmm. such. Um, and that, I love that. And I think that's something that you know, whoever listens and just, you know, as we continue to build this, it's going to only help mm-hmm. make people more Agreed. aware and, and hopefully it helps that way we can get people back to normal, like mm-hmm. back to where they want to be sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always said like with any PT, any injury proactive, like be, yep. be proactive. Don't wait till something it gets to the exactly. point where you are like to your mm-hmm. last straw. Um, you're going to save money in that too, yeah, you right. know, from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, I would love to know what are your three, like your top three things that you want people to know about this, you know, especially when I would say when it pertains to postpartum health and and the pelvic floor. Um, so I would say first and foremost, um, listen to your body. And so, you know, some people, um, some people can start, you know, as early as four to six weeks. Some people need to wait eight to 10 to 12 weeks before their body fully recovers, before they would go back to some sort of organized um, organized exercise class or group. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen to your body. So whether you had a vaginal delivery or a C-section, again, a C-section is a major abdominal surgery. Mm-hmm. And so minimum of six weeks before they would really do anything other than just breath, um, and gentle core activation, um, baby wearing, um, just bonding with your baby, really just allowing that time for your body to heal and for you and baby to get to know each other on a different level. Um, but again, in regards to diastasis, in regards to incontinence, bowel function, even increased bleeding, um, which we call lochia after a vaginal delivery or C-section actually, if any of that changes um, once you start becoming more active again, that's your body really telling you that you might not be quite ready for whatever you were doing. Mm-hmm. So maybe just back off a little bit, take it down a notch, talk to your trainer, um, you know, find a resource where you can start to ask some questions as to why did this get worse or why is yeah. this not getting better. And I would ask, can you just kind of, educate the listeners like what is what is diastasis so diastasis recti is a split in your abdominal muscle um, which is your rectus abdominis so your rectus abdominis attaches from the lower part of your rib cage all the way down to your pubic bone it's kind of like the six-pack muscle group Mm -hmm. Um, there is a tendinous uh, section in the middle called your linea alba and Um, Some people don't know that a diastasis is a total normal and natural thing that has to occur when we are pregnant. Mm -hmm. 
if our abdominals didn't stretch and didn't split like that, the baby would crush our organs. Okay. And so yeah. thank God that we have a mm -hmm. diastasis, okay? Um, but what should happen as um, we have the baby and our uterus shrinks down and all of the swelling goes down is that those abdominal muscles should start to kind of reintegrate back together. And sometimes what happens is the split just remains a little bit larger than we would like. Mm. Um, we don't worry as much about the width of the split anymore as we used to. We're a little bit more concerned now about the depth okay. of the split. And that all comes into play with how the abdominal muscles work together. So mm. your um, rectus abdominis, your internal and external obliques, and your transverse abdominis, they all need to work together in a group. If that's not happening, um, then the diastasis will get very deep or it will not come back together. Mm. Um, but again, I try not to worry too much about numbers or you know, three fingers or four fingers. That's a great way to measure, mm -hmm. to make sure that it's improving. But I try to not get people hung up on that as much as how their core is actually functioning. Right. So I've had people who have had a very, very narrow diastasis, um, but they have a very poor functioning core. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really the most important thing. And so a diastasis is a split in your abdominal muscles. If your core is not functioning correctly, then that can lead to other things such as bowel or bladder dysfunction, specifically incontinence, back pain, hip pain, mm -hmm. SI joint pain. Um, and so we are really, um, really focused on getting your core to function together yeah. um, to be able to stabilize kind of all of those joints yeah. that I just talked about. No, that that I, that puts it in, again. I'm constantly learning about this. You know, it's something that you know I was not made aware of. Is that I know the depth is important, but I wasn't aware that it's something that we were yeah. more focused on. Um, so again, something that I can take. Yeah, and, and the help. research is always change. You know, the research is just it's always updating. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, we weren't doing nothing anything wrong necessarily yeah. in the past when we were worried about the width that's just as much information as we had at that time right and now with um, functional ultrasounds where we can see what the muscle is doing during activity um, what it has showed us is that the obliques are very 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 important for um, allowing that diastasis to come back together Interesting. and we just weren't really focused on the obliques before we were more focused on the transverse abdominis right. which is still important but it's just not all about that muscle. Yeah. Um, I would say the other thing after listening to your body, um, it's not all about Kegels. And so I would say the biggest misconception that I hear and see from people is that they have a little bit of incontinence and so they do Kegels. And they'll do Kegels all day long and all day long and as hard as they can. Um, and it just doesn't really that make that much of a difference. Uh, a Kegel is a pelvic floor muscle contraction. So it's trying to just tighten um, your pelvic floor muscles. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a research article out that says between 60 and 70% of people that are doing Kegels um, aren't even doing them correctly. Okay. I mean, it's a huge number. Yeah. And so <clears throat> in regards to stress incontinence or urge incontinence, um, it's more about uh, how the diaphragm is functioning, how the pelvic floor is functioning, how your core is functioning, and all of those things working together. And so 
The pelvic floor muscle contraction or the Kegel is just a very, very, very small part of the big picture. Mm -hmm. um, and so just by doing those, you're not really necessarily going to make that big of a change. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, what we're finding now, again, not sure if it's just our society and our culture and we're all ramped up and our you know sympathetic nervous systems are all ramped up. But what I'm finding more of now is that people are actually having more of a hypertonic pelvic floor. And so what that is, is just they're holding a lot of tension in their pelvic floor. So if you imagine making a fist and holding your hand in a fist all day long, so you're squeeze, 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 squeeze all day long. And then you try to go and pick up a glass of water at the end of the day. You unpeel your hand and go to reach for the glass of water. Your muscles are going to be weak. They're going to be shaky. They're not going to be functioning correctly. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing that happens with the pelvic floor. And so even though we might be having incontinence and we truly, truly might have a weak pelvic floor, it might be because your pelvic floor is actually too tight okay. and not relaxing. Yeah. And so then if you go to try to strengthen that muscle, that's not really going to make a big difference and it actually can make things a lot worse. Okay. And so trying Kegels here and there, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not horrible, but if you do them and do them and do them and things aren't changing, or you think that maybe things are actually getting a little bit worse if you're doing them, then that's when I would definitely talk to somebody. Yeah. Um, and so then thirdly, I would say nutrition. Um, this is something that I am learning a lot more about. Um, I just actually sent my husband a text the other day and said, just so you know, in the next five years, I'm going to go get another degree more than likely in some <laughs> sort of nutrition, um, in some sort of nutrition area. So just thought I'd let you know that. Um, but there's so, so much out there. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, but again, I think everybody has really good intentions, but everything that we put in our mouths helps our, helps or hinders our urinary system, our digestive system, our ability to heal, mm -hmm. our ability to function, our ability to think. Um, it affects our memory. It affects everything. Yeah. I mean, it's the reason that we're alive. And so um, I just feel like good quality nutrition, especially postpartum when your body is trying to feed another human, um, when your body is trying to heal and recover yeah. is so, so critical. Um, again, in our country, I hate to keep, you know, harping on our country, but in a lot of European countries, women are offered a year of postpartum um, maternity leave. Yes. And it's a, allowing our bodies to heal, our brains to heal, allowing us to, you know, help this other human grow. Um, and everything is so rushed we have the baby we heal we're supposed to get back to the gym we're supposed to get back to our job yeah. and we're not allowing ourselves the time that we need to just rest and heal and recover um and you know our focus is immediately on this other human that we've created and the focus immediately comes away from us and so i feel like it's your job and it's my job to remind the mama mm -hmm. that she needs to continue to take care of herself. And nutrition, I think, is huge. Good quality, nutrient-dense foods. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, if I had to name three things that I feel like are really important for postpartum care, those would those are yeah. kind of my top three. And I think yeah, I mean those are all great things. I think like it's one of the, those are three things that we I think we're told, mm-hmm. but we don't often. It's so like simple in a way. Mm-hmm. They're simple things that we can start doing, but we just mm-hmm. yeah. don't. And, uh, you know, I take a lot of pride in our nutrition here mm-hmm. and, and trying to always stay up on, on that. And there's so I love that last part. Just there's so much power in nutrition. Mm-hmm. And it's just another reason mm-hmm. for us to focus on it. And I think, you know, if you can take anything out of this, guys, it's I mean, listen, to, go back, listen to her three things, because mm-hmm. um, and I they're all great. And they're all just on on top of, I would say. They're, they're the thing right now that everybody's talking mm-hmm. about. Kegels, you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, diastasis is starting to become more, mm-hmm. like, understood or at least people are, are a little more aware of it. Um, and nutrition is constantly talked about. It's in media all over. And um, so I definitely, I mean, even from me, I learned quite mm-hmm. a bit from, from that. And so I guess, you know, the only last thing I would ask, I want to ask you, I'm kind of put you on the spot no, here a little okay. bit. Um, is like, what is like your biggest tips? I want to kind of go back to diastasis Mm -hmm. just a little bit. Um, and C-sections, your best tips on exercises, do's and don'ts, Mm -hmm. like what generally should you avoid? What generally are good things to do? Um, that's a really good question. So first and foremost, I would say before you worry at all about, Um, what exercises, you know, when we think of exercises in regards to like crunches or planks or squats or that kind of thing, before you can do any of those, you need to make sure that you have your, your correct breath, your functional breath. Mm -hmm. So learning how to use your diaphragm, um, learning how to control your intra-abdominal pressure if you aren't breathing correctly, if you're not maintaining your intra-abdominal pressure correctly, um, you're going to continue to injure or stress um, your diastasis or your abdominal wall, your C-section scar, and your pelvic floor. Yeah. And so absolute first and foremost, find your breath. Um, a lot of times people, again, all good intentions, yeah. but people are talking about belly breath as a diaphragmatic breath, and it's not just all belly breath. It's into your belly, into your sides, into your back. Mm -hmm. And your pelvic floor and your diaphragm kind of work together. And so when you breathe correctly, that's actually, um, you know, kind of creating a range of motion activity for your pelvic floor as well. So that's kind of first and Uh, foremost. Yeah. If you find your breath, um, I really like to think about um, working your core in an eccentric manner as much as a concentric manner. Okay. Um, I really, really, really discourage people from just doing straight crunches. Yeah. Because that is just in one plane of motion. Even if you add a little bit of rotation to it, it's primarily in one range of motion. And we're really focusing on shortening, contracting those tissues. Yeah. Um, and that can really make the diastasis a lot worse. It can act. It can also increase your pressure down into your pelvic floor, um, which could make symptoms of a prolapse or incontinence worse okay. as well. Um, so lots of controlled movements um, of the core in an eccentric manner. Mm-hmm. So if you think of um, like a dead bug exercise yep. or a bird dog exercise, 
where you're breathing, you're finding your core. So what I always like to say with my patients and with um, my yoga students um, is find your breath, find your core, and then find your breath and your core together. And if you can find your breath and your core together, then you can start moving. Yeah. Um, so I really like dead bugs to start with. Um, if someone can't even find um, the control of their core in a dead bug position, I just have them put their feet up on a ball. Okay. On a ball to support the weight of their legs, and then they can move their arms and their legs that way. Yeah. Um, a bird dog exercise. Um, I don't love planks. Yeah. Um, I will start people, if they really want to do a plank, I'll start them in a modified plank. Again, find your breath, find your core, find yeah. your breath and core together, yeah. and then kind of move from there. Yeah. Um, so those are probably my the foundations, the ones yeah. that I start with. And then you just slowly progress them up into a squatting position, you know, and then movement kind of yeah. in all planes with that. Good, I'm doing something right. Yay! Dead bugs are like my go-to for awesome. this. So yes, yeah, um, that, I feel good now. I'm ready to go. Um, no, I th that is all great, and I don't, you know, I feel like I could talk to you forever mm -hmm. about all this because it's so fascinating, and um, <clears throat> I've learned quite a bit already. So, um, but. I'm going to probably, I'm going to end it there just because yeah. I, I, I got to have you back again because there's so much <laughs> more we can back. hit on. And yeah. uh, so where can people find you? I guess, you know, I want to um, make sure people, yeah. if they have any questions, if they can reach out to you. Right so um, my clinic is in West Salem. I am housed within Cooley Health, Spine and Body Works. Uh, it's a chiropractic clinic in West Salem. And they can find me on the web at obrienphysicaltherapy.net. Um, I also am doing a lot more with um, yoga and okay. physical therapy together and then also um, kind of focusing obviously on pelvic health stuff um, and so I'm doing that a lot of different workshops and a lot of advanced anatomy trainings um, at Palm and Pine here in awesome. La Crosse. Yeah, so, great. Yeah. yeah. And, and guys, so I know, you know, Jill's amazing. She can... You know, I definitely, if you are concerned about any, any of these things, and, and it's something I would highly recommend going and seeing her. Um, you know, if it's something you're not comfortable talking to me about, I'm always, you know, probably annoy Jill sometimes because I'm <laughs> going to start probably asking her some questions. But, um, uh, you know, reach out because it's something that is super important. And you do need to take care of it if you want to take it to the next level. Like, you got to start at step one before you can get to step five. It's, you know, you can't rush the steps out. It's not, you're not going to do it the right way. Um, so I want to thank you so much, Jill, for Thanks, coming Jeff. on. Yes. Yeah. So um, I appreciate your time. And, guys, you know, go give her a shout-out. You know, make, make sure you guys thank her for taking the time uh, to, to talk with us. So um, other than that, guys, any questions, of course, you can ask me as well. Um, and if I need to, I'll ask Jill, and uh, I'll get you an answer. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening again. And uh, we'll be ready for another episode of uh, Nourish, Flourish, and Grind next week. Uh, until then, keep on grinding, guys. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of Nourish, Flourish, and Grind. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't yet, make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure I would love it if you guys rated and reviewed it, whether it's good, bad, or negative. I want to know so I can help you all better in nourishing, flourishing, and grinding towards a better you. Thanks, guys.